The emergence of the coronavirus has presented some unprecedented challenges for pretty much all of humanity lately, not least for educators and specifically for educators in China. My guests today find themselves in an even more unique position than normal as they college counsel from afar while their school in Shanghai stays indefinitely closed due to the outbreak. But China is a wildly complex place. We recognize our connection to it more and more each day, and it's a country with a history and a present that are far deeper and more interesting than the coronavirus. I welcome my guests to help give us some of that context, Mindy Rose and Mark Moody, co-directors of College Counseling at Shanghai American School. Welcome to The Crush. Greetings, I'm Davin Sweeney, a college counselor at CollegeWise, and this is my podcast where I talk to people who are tireless, ceaseless in their efforts to provide families with the best information, the best approach, and the most culturally sensitive college counseling possible, even if they are forced to telecounsel from the other side of our entire planet while wearing ostrich boots and 10-gallon hats. People like my guests today. And while more and more schools are closing in this country each day, Mindy and Mark's school was among the earliest in our profession to have to reckon with the impacts of the coronavirus as they currently find themselves in San Antonio, Texas, while they wait for the all clear from Shanghai. It's not uncommon that we here in our little American bubble don't seriously engage the rest of the world until and unless we're forced to. And so we tend to be pretty reactive in our education about other places. But increasingly, year over year, American college students are finding themselves with an ever more international grouping of classmates coming from other countries sitting alongside them in their classes. The thing is, it seems to be a pretty one-way street. So depending on where you look, estimates put the number at between just 10 and 16% of U.S. students going abroad during their time in college. I will uh, link to this data in the show notes, but there's an organization called the Institute of International Education that has some great data about the rates of exchange between the U.S. and the rest of the world in terms of studying in each other's countries. And there's one chart in particular when it comes to China that shows what amounts to a tiny amount and pretty flat trend line of American students traveling to China to study abroad against a massive upward trending line of Asian students coming to America. There's a huge disconnect here that is ripe for change, but I'm afraid the outbreak here isn't likely to positively affect that, at least in the near term, and that's that's too bad. Um, we don't do great with our fear of the unknown, and all the other fears being whipped up lately make that likely even harder. But I wanted to make sure that I didn't just talk to these guys about uh, virus-related topics. So while we talk about how they're doing their work from afar, uh, what that looks like for them, for their colleagues, and for the families they work with, we switch to the unique aspects of counseling families with very different cultural histories and expectations than either of them were used to when they worked in the U.S. I talked to Mindy and Mark from their temporary perch in San Antonio, Texas. Can you hear this okay with this microphone? Yeah. It sounds it sounds delightful. Hi, Mindy. 
Hey, how are you? Can you see me? Yeah, there you are. All right. Man, you got the like the hot, the sweet mic setups and everything now. Yeah, yeah. That's, because, that's because we're screencasting now. What does that even mean? That's because we're we're tele learning. Right. You're well. You're you're tele educating. Yeah, we're te- we're tele educators, so we have a right. microphone. Right. Good. Well, yeah. I mean, you guys have. You're. I'm. I'm talking. To you, I. I'm, I'm recording, so we'll just dive in. I mean, I'm talking to you two today. You're in um, San Antonio? Yes. That's correct. Which is not where you should be this time of year. That is correct. Which is Shanghai. And right. uh, I'm talking to you guys because um, <clears throat> you're in exile. And as a result, you know, well, you're in quarantine slash exile. You know, pick your your word there, but like you have to attempt to somehow carry on as normal as possible, given the fact that you are in, and we are all in, you know, sort of uncharted territory here um, in this day and age for a lot of reasons, but specifically as pertains to the fact that like China is on lockdown right now. And you guys have been there for uh, many years at this point as counselors at Shanghai American School. And you are having to get terribly creative, um, (laughs) I would imagine, in your assistance with the students that you work with, not just you, but everybody at your school and everybody at, you know, in in similar circumstances. So, I mean, how did you how did this all kind of happen for you guys? I mean, you happen to be in the United States. Is that right? I did. So we both uh, were in Los Angeles in January. Um, So beginning January 15th for um, an international baccalaureate workshop we were attending, as well as some college visits uh, around that workshop. Um, And that workshop ended or our trip ended right as the Chinese New Year holiday, which is a school vacation period of about a week and a half was beginning. And during the trip, I had made the call that I was going to hang out in Southern California, visit some friends. Uh, The SERP conference was happening and I was going to see some people attending that. And as that week progressed, the week after uh, our trip officially ended and Mindy had gone back to Shanghai, these news developments started to come in that eventually, after a series of what seemed like 12-hour massive updates led to the news that our school was going to Uh, not going to reopen as planned after the Chinese New Year holiday, but to begin working in an online fashion. So we didn't, closure is not the word. Uh, It's a campus closure, but we're running school. And we began that on February 3rd. And Mindy had a more uh, kind of adventurous run during that period. (laughs) Yeah. What happened to you, Mindy? So I returned to Shanghai as planned from Los Angeles and was initially in the mindset that my family and I would go on a Chinese New Year vacation as planned, which was initially planned for Bali. But news was coming together quickly to put me in the mindset to redirect that trip to Taipei. Mm -hmm. But news continue to unfold in these blocks, as Mark described, that made me think Taipei was not a good place to go if uh, there was a virus blooming somewhere in China. Um, So we decided as once we got news that the school was choosing not to reopen campuses until February 17th, which was the initial 
time period we thought we were working with, um, that we would go, my kids and I would go to the United States. So I was back in Shanghai for two days, I think, after Los Angeles, um, that, that we would go back to the U.S. or I, I would take my kids to the U.S., to first to have a bit of a break, a, a Chinese New Year break, because the kids were off for a few days, um, and then move into the distance learning phase of this experience. Uh, yeah. so, so we spent a few days in New York City, which was great. Um, and we, we saw Hamilton, and we went to Chinatown, and we went to the, the Tenement Museum, and that was fantastic. Um, and then we spent some time in Saratoga Springs, which is where I am from. And that's where we really began the, the, the transition into distance learning. Right. And that, that's when Mark and I joined up because we realized that in order to uh, execute the kind of work that we needed to get done, we were going to be so, so much more effective together. Mm -hmm. And because included in what we needed to get done was our junior college family night which a lot of uh, anxious juniors were anticipating so yeah so how quickly i guess or, or it you know I, i've no you know i work with some students overseas and some students in asia and, and they've been sort of every school seems to have been approaching this kind of at their i don't want to say at their own speed but just kind of at their own level of you know recognition and awareness about what the realities are but everybody more or less seems to have gotten to the same point at this point which is that essentially school is probably not going to be back in session, you know, for the remainder of the year. Um, oh, we're, we haven't accepted that reality yet, but it's looking closer and closer. Yeah. And, and it's important to say that for us, that, that initial closure of February 3rd or campus closure was decided for, for us by the Shanghai Education Commission. So February the, 17th. Yeah. Uh, the Chinese government um, is really part of our decision-making process at Got our it. school. Yeah. Right. What are you guys hearing from from your students and from your families who who are there and are therefore perhaps a little bit of a well perhaps more of a substantial risk of exposure to this than yourselves there in, in <laughs> San Antonio? <laughs> well, I think mostly what we're hearing from people who are in Shanghai is that, that city has been pretty well uh, managed in terms of of the health issue. Um, there, there are a relatively small number of cases for a very large population of people. And, and of course, the whole population isn't there. A lot of people did not return after the, the New Year holiday because right. people traditionally go, go to wherever their family is from uh, at that time. What we hear mostly is that it's, it's just really slow and it feels uh, strangely empty. Uh, but for in, in many ways, life sort of continues as normal, but uh, with some unusual um, twists of, of not being able to, to gather in crowds, not being able to visit people's homes that aren't your own, things like that. Another layer uh, to this is that in talking to our, our kids, which is happening in the form of junior interviews, we know that many of them have stayed very close to home, partly out of a an abundance of caution, and, and by that I mean within their their compounds, um, and so that's met, made for an incredibly long month mm -hmm. for them. Mm -hmm. um, and so we know that we have enormous privilege by being out in the world as we've been mm -hmm. over the last month. It's been a, a surreal period. It's been really weird yeah. for us. 
but we have had enormous freedom to, to move around. Mm -hmm. um, and in talking to, to our students, they really have been essentially in their homes right. and they have been so stressed. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I have two, as I mentioned, two kids, they're younger. One is in fifth grade, one is in eighth. Um, and watching them try to manage the distance learning experience has been eye-opening for me. Right. The, the level, their level of stress has been quite high, just trying to, to manage um, a, a more detached experience um, when they're used to a school that is really built on collaborative learning. It's a really eye-opening experience for them. Otherwise, I know that my husband is still in Shanghai and he works for Disney and he is talking about other aspects of the city that are very much alive and well and mm -hmm. have improved. Mm -hmm. So it, that can also be confusing for students who hear and know that that Shanghai is okay and coming back to life. But ultimately, decisions around when school comes back to life will uh, are, are, as Mark said, dependent on the, the government. Yeah. And the government is watching closely what's happening in the world. And it's not getting better. Right. Um, so. Well, and I mean, you guys work in a particularly anxiety ridden part of any school, whether it's, you know, in Shanghai or, or, or some of the other places that you've worked before. And I'll, I'll get into that. We'll move on because your work is, is more than just sort of uh, reacting to the coronavirus. Uh, but that I imagine because I, you know, work with kids myself that, you know, they're, they're concerned about any aberration from the norm. Uh, specifically as pertains to the college process, anything that shifts, you know, oh my God, I'm on track to get a B plus instead of an A minus. Like, what do I do? Like, there are just so many little things. Um, more, I would imagine, when it comes to the juniors who are in that, you know, sort of dead zone a little bit right now of having to wait, mm -hmm. or the seniors, I'm sorry, of having to sort of wait from the remainder of the, co the, the colleges right. they've applied to. And um, what are, you know, I mean, I want to talk about kind of how you, how you counsel to uh, the population of students that you work with now and what some of the unique challenges are there, but like beyond those that we will get into, what mm -hmm. have been some of the now new novel, pardon the bad pun, uh, <laughs> um, challenges that you're, that you're facing as you counsel students in the college process? Sure. Well, I mean, if you're talking about, um, anxiety and concern about aberrations. I mean, very understandably, our families right out of the gate were really concerned that um, colleges would see the change in learning mode as um, indicative of maybe a, a decline in the quality of education that was happening and the rigor that was happening. There's concern among those seniors that you mentioned for their AP exams, for their IB exams as instruction for this critical- Do you have both at your school? Yes. We do. Okay. We, we have both AP and IB diploma options, and we have the options for kids to do a mix of both, mm -hmm. which is really interesting. Mm -hmm. But, you know, here in the home stretch, the students are understandably worried that they're not getting the direct instruction that they need to, to do their best on those exams and, 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 and those kinds of things. Right. So, you know, an upside of that is we began to reach out immediately to our friends in college admission offices and ask them to share their 
sort of perceptions of what was going on and, and their messages for our students immediately, knowing, of course, how this profession works and what that feedback was going to be. But it was, uh, it was really heartening to get all these very positive messages of affirmation, you know, not only for our school and, and trust and, and the decisions our school would make, but in, um, you know, just a, an expression of flexibility and openness to uncontrollable circumstances, of course, and, and a willingness to work with the limitations that the students are going to face. You know, in some cases for some seniors, and we're seeing a lot of schools, you know, uh, changing the options for English language verification. Uh, our, our students don't typically have to deal with that, um, but some schools do require it and colleges are becoming more flexible with those requirements because that's often something that's done late in the game, senior year for students. You know, a, a big concern though has been for those younger kids, particularly the, the 11th graders, you know, is their critical 11th grade year before they apply to college gonna be compromised in some way? And, and so we've really been working and, and again, of course, getting great feedback from uh, admission officers at universities around the world, expressing that of course they're not gonna be penalized in some way because they're having to do their coursework um, from a distance right now. The, the biggest challenge might be access to standardized testing. Right. Um, I was going to ask if you could comment on that. Not just, you know, I know that it's, it can be, it's, it's challenging anyways for students overseas to, it's more challenging for them to sort of sit for these exams than, than yeah. students here in the United States, you know, almost no matter where you are, but um, there are some unique challenges in China. And I wonder if you could talk about that and then, and then how those challenges have come and compounded at this point. Well, well, the the starting challenge uh, for a school in China is that we have to be um, the test site uh, for our own students and our own students only. Uh, we're not able, you know, now that the ACT, for example, has gone to electronic testing outside of the continental U.S., uh, other countries are managing that by um, having test centers that are open to students from different schools, but we have to be the sole uh, deliverer of ACT and SAT both. Um, so every our- student outside of the United States is taking the, that takes the ACT is doing so on a computer. Yes. Yes. And that has been true for what, a year and a, a half year and now? A half, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Second cycle. Yep. Yeah. So we have yet to engage uh, at this point with ACT that's coming up now. I'm trying to reach out to them and, and, and have some conversations about what they're plans are in, in responding to the situation of student displacement. Um, we have had a, an extraordinary amount of interaction with folks at the college board over the last week and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, because so the March, uh, you know, again, this thing has gone in these stages where, where we, we, you know, we think we'll be back and then the horizon keeps extending farther away into the distance. Uh, and as March 14th, the next SAT date started to look questionable. We found out that our, so we we already were anticipating we wouldn't be able to be back to offer it. In the meantime, many of our students taking advantage of being in other parts of the world from as close to home as Taiwan to as far as the United States and other parts of the world began to register for the SAT in case they would be able to take it in the place where they were um, spending this extended learning time, or I keep saying extended learning, distance learning time. And um, the college board canceled all registrations anywhere in the world for students whose home high school was in China just about a week and a half or so ago. 
And uh, we so you no could be students. registered anywhere to take the exam. You could be perhaps one of these students that might have been, you know, away on vacation and decided to sort of stay gone until t- such time. I mean, what might have been the impetus for that? They're, the fact that their <laughs> home high school is in China. So it's a really interesting conversation. I mean, it, it felt to us uh, really unfair. Mm-hmm. It felt to our students really unfair. And, uh, you know, our families are really sensitive already to implicit messaging that they detect from the testing agencies about sort of suspicion of students in Asia. You know, these widespread cancellations that happened because one test somewhere uh, in Singapore was um, unaccounted for and was distributed and, you know, all tests throughout East Asia on a given date are canceled as a result. We've seen these things happen. Our, our students really, in addition to limited testing dates overseas, also have um, are, are becoming accustomed to these cancellations before the test or cancellations of scores after the test. Yeah. And, and it, it's made families really cynical about those organizations and about the tests themselves. Uh, and it leads to behavior that is very, very understandable, but but that to us is frustrating because it doesn't feel like it's good for students to just make plans to travel for SAT dates to the United States, for example, on a regular date, just to be sure that it's not canceled. We, we hear of students doing that a lot. Of course, at the expense, the great expense of their coursework. Right. And, and of course, the students who traveled in the case of coronavirus were going, the, the, the message from the school once coronavirus hit was to go wherever you're, you feel safe and comfortable. And recall that this happened over Chinese New Year break. Mm-hmm. So many families were already where they felt safe and comfortable. Um, and that often was a place where they had a family connection, maybe where they already held a passport. Mm-hmm. Um, so at Shanghai American School, our students... Uh, are all or almost all foreign passport holders. Mm -hmm. Um, And so what we found in in working with College Board and what our students found in working with College Board, uh, um, following the instructions we gave them to to call the customer service line was that uh, many of the customer service agents seem to have difficulty following the, uh, the sort of truth that our students were uh, sort of citizens of the United States or wherever they were registered to take the test, Korea, Mm -hmm. Japan, um, and that they were, had been in the, the, the country, whichever country they were registered to take the test for a length of time with a true sense of, of home in, in those places. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and of course it takes some nuance to understand that, but um, we, we've had some really complicated conversations with College Board uh, to, to reach some understanding um, and that this issue impacts not just our students, but mm-hmm. students all over uh, China and other students, students in other international schools as well. If, if the virus continues to spread as it clearly is, right. and this issue is going to continue to, to reach their customer service mm-hmm. desk. Where does the issue stand now? Like, are they, are they, in a, are they, are they have, after having heard from you or, and, and perhaps others whose students tests have been canceled, the test registrations have been canceled. Are they, are they more willing to kind of move and reinstate those dates and give them the opportunity to take the test then? 
they've mostly reinstated our students. There are some specific locations where it's proved um, more challenging and we're, you know, anticipating that frankly, test sites in Korea will probably be closed before March 14th happens because mm -hmm. of what's happened in, in Seoul and in in that area uh, with, with the virus. Um, but, um, you know, so it's great. We, we, were, we reached out to a number of people at the college board. We feel privileged to have the ability and the access to do that. And we were able to get almost all of our students reinstated. Um, I, I still think that there is a need at this date on the part of the college board to do a better job communicating to other schools, other counselors, students uh, in the position that our students were in it and help them out. The, the communication has not been, has not been great. Uh, I, we, but we have also been reassured from the foot. We ended up talking to the director of customer service at college board and have been assured that they've done some training of the folks at the customer service desk for the SAT and are in a better position to understand uh, and help our students. But but the way that this thing gets more complicated, just last night on the International ACA Facebook page, a counselor in Taiwan, where we have some students who we work to get reinstated, was expressing their concern that students from mainland China are on the roster for their school and their school administration is concerned about that. Um, and so then on this micro level, there's a lack of understanding of who these students are, where they've been, what their situation is, and, and schools, um, again, not being given that information by the college board who has asked these students to provide uh, information about who they are and where they've been. It hasn't been given to the test site. And so mm -hmm. they just see a kid coming from China and they, they are assuming they're flying right in, which I, would actually be very difficult right now. <laughs> but yes. right. <laughs> but uh, and it, there's just an overall lack of communication and it's ending, ending up creating some, some unusual circumstances and feeling of strain among counselors uh, at different schools who in fact aren't in contact with each other. They're, the college board is the mediator. Uh, and, and, and could be doing more to inform everyone right. of what's going on. Yeah. Let me back up and tell me a little bit more just about your school in general and who the kinds, who the families are that go there. Okay. Well, so we are both directors of college counseling at Shanghai American School because Shanghai American School has two campuses. We are on either side, the far east and the far west of the city of Shanghai. Um, We're about 40 miles apart. Okay. The Mm -hmm. expansiveness of the city like 24, yeah <laughs> roughly 24 million people between each campus yes. <laughs> um so um our students as as mindy said earlier are required by chinese law in china to hold a foreign passport in order to attend an international school like ours with, mm -hmm. with the kind of curriculum that we offer okay there are a handful of, of exceptions to that but by and large they're um, they're students with foreign passports. Um, the, the largest on both of our campus is uh, U.S. passport, followed by Canadian, and, and it very quickly becomes um, a, a mix of, of small numbers of, of a variety of passports from around the world. About 35 passport, different passports. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but of course, a number of folks who hold, uh, you know, Hong Kong right. passports and, and, and Taiwan uh, citizenship um, and and again, moving on from there pretty quickly into a, a, a huge distribution. Uh, what else to say? As I said before, we are unusual in offering both um, the AP and the IB curricula and offering students the chance um, to choose. 
Yeah, and my campus is the the newer of the two, and historically speaking, and that history is very short, um, has served the expat population in Shanghai. So the campus itself is only just over 10 years old, and the speaking of the high school specifically, mm-hmm. um, and over that time period, uh, the the school has seen enormous changes and is continuing to see enormous changes as reflects the um, influence of Western corporations in Shanghai. So it's, it's real peak of Western influence came in the early 2000s and over time. And even since I've been there, this is year three for me. Um, I have seen a, slow decrease in Westerners present among my my student population. Um, and, and I really saw, for example, the trade wars play out within my school. Uh, we, we lost a large number of Western kids uh, last year. Uh, and, and really uh, across K through 12, um, a, a significant number so that you could feel the difference in, in the population. You know, that said, our school also just historically is, is a fascinating institution because it, it was founded in 1912 and was the first international school in China and has managed to over, you know, many years and wars and uh, a lot of upheaval maintain a common thread that links that 1912 founding to who we are today, uh, even with the uh, closure from uh, the late 40s all the way through um, the 80s uh, when the first U.S. consular officers uh, returned to uh, China and uh, one of those folks had some children and uh, started up a school and was able to connect it to the historical lineage of uh, Shanghai American School and get the whole thing rolling again. Yeah. Uh, and now it's a, it's a huge <laughs> uh, institution. It is. And so really the, the, the distance learning mode is, feels very much part of the school DNA. Um, and this is a very modern um, sort of incarnation of what the school has always done to just keep going in times of uh, great challenge. Um, and it actually, it was implemented almost seamlessly. As we said, we really thought at first it would be an eight day window. And it, then it became a uh, two and a half week and then three and a half week. And now it just yeah. the period just keeps stretching. But the the team of people who have implemented this has been um, pretty remarkable um, and most everyone has risen to the occasion of okay we're going to learn some new skills mm-hmm. and we're going to keep kids connected we're going to keep kids safe and feeling connected to school because we have a large number of kids who's who really derive their sense of identity um, and, and peace these are really third culture kids right. who find mm-hmm. the, a happy space in, in the school community mm-hmm. um, and so it's been a, a really remarkable um, and inspiring moment for the school um, and I think we're, we're trying to do create the, create the same kind of energy in, in, in the way that we approach our work. Mm-hmm. So you guys are both fairly seasoned veterans though in this land where, I mean, you're relatively new at, at, at 
at your current school, but like you've been doing this for a while. I mean, what is, you know, not just obviously this very, very different approach that you're having to take now, but, um, in general, like what, what's been different for you guys about, um, your approach to counseling in this kind of environment, as opposed to, you know, an independent school stateside. Sure. So uh, we have pretty similar backgrounds, uh, much like many, uh, college counselors at independent schools who are, uh, in our sort of, uh, Generation X age group. Uh, we, we started off in college admission. We also both share the fact that we were uh, pursuing higher education degrees before going into admission, which is something that I find uh, among people in our business um, and uh, sort of ended up for, for some reason or another moving out of that path, but still staying uh, in a certain way within the academic world. Um, so um, I worked in admission at Trinity University here in San Antonio. And I worked in admission at the University of Richmond in Virginia, which is where we were prior to this mm-hmm. stop. Got so it. We're, we're really having an old home uh-huh. week. And yeah. Yeah, man, you guys, I mean, L.A., New York, Saratoga, Richmond, San Antonio. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Amazing. But it was a brief stop in New Hampshire as sure. well. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, why wouldn't there be? Yeah. And, I, yeah. and, I, and I visited family in uh, Houston and the Rio Grande Valley of Texas along the way as well. So Man, yeah. um, so here we are settled in San Antonio, uh, very close to Trinity University, where um, Eric Maloof and his team are taking really good care of us and providing us some resources and office space and access to facilities, which is really Oh, that's cool. awesome. Really awesome and, and such so you're a not, cool. you're not having to work from like, you know, your parents' living room or anything per se. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, it's, just, you know, it, it's important to sort of point out that one uh, lesson or reminder from this really unusual and, and potentially unsettling period we're going through is just the power of the relationships uh, within our business yeah. are so mm-hmm. great. I mean, mm-hmm. And again, I want to give a shout out to Gil Villanueva at uh, University of Richmond because uh, he was also just awesome. He was fantastic. He also provided um, us with a place to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, he provided us with IT support when our computers <laughs> were like, no, wait, you, <laughs> like, we had been using them too hard for too long. Um, and uh, he provided us with, with a meal and also just, I think, a counseling session. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, and we also got to uh, sit in on a junior preview day and he just helped put together some pieces for us and some programming so just fantastic also i I have to since we're saying hello to admission people i want to say hi to darren drayback at skidmore who was the first admission person to reach out to me when he saw that i was back and he said come have lunch let's talk good good so, so, so there you go. So we, we have backgrounds at those two places and, um, and then both spent a number of years working in independent schools in the United States. Right. Um, most recently I spent nine years at Colorado Academy in Denver, which is, uh, an awesome school that takes advantage of all the opportunities of Colorado and, um, Yes, and I moved from Richmond to a just over a decade at Lawrenceville, which mm-hmm. really shaped how I practice counseling. Yeah, New Jersey, mm-hmm. boarding school in New Jersey. Um, and that's a place that really widened my sense of the world and uh, my sense of all the different paths kids can take. Right. And I think uh, influenced very much my decision to go overseas. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that said, both of our college counseling practices were shaped very much by the independent school world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and moving overseas, uh, I think we, we learned quickly that you can't apply directly that practice mm-hmm. to the uh, work that we had to do in the international school world. Why not? What was different about it? Well, well, you know, I like to say that it's sort of uh, the best thing they ever did for my practice as a college counselor. And I'm glad I did it at the moment in my life and career that I did because it, it has caused me to question everything I ever took for granted as sort of um, non-negotiables uh, or pillars of college counseling. <laughs> Uh, because it's, it's just different and, and understanding our families and where they're coming from, their background, their perspective, their values, um, some of the tried and true tools and sort of tropes of independent school college counseling um, feel flimsy. <laughs> and, 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 it's, and it's a really good thing to have to break down your thinking about what's important in this work, what's important in these conversations, what are the goals that you have for these families uh, and, and their children and, and what are the goals that they have and how do you how can you reconcile all that to help them get to a place that feels um, empowering and, um, and meaningful. So uh, when you say flimsy, like what are the forces at work that are kind of pushing, yeah. you know, those those tried and true methods of yours that you uh, brought with you to Shanghai? Well, I think when you come to Asia and, and uh, particularly China and you encounter the power of a family um, as a collective, as a collective, um, it's, it's humbling and um, it, it would be foolish and arrogant to uh, try to push against that uh, in a way that you might sometimes feel is appropriate in a school in the U.S. So, for instance, so what I family values, I want to say that, but 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 in terms of empowering a student, you really have to respect the right. fact that their grandmother's comprehension of of what is a good college is it's going to come into play when the final decisions. Made. Right. I mean, I, I remember. I mean, and I still sort of deal with this now, right? But especially, you know, I'm working in admissions and talking to a parent on the phone who might talk in terms of we, uh, mm-hmm. right, and going to college, that right. maybe that idea is in fact quite a bit more of a of, of a reality and in, 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 yeah, in, in yeah. and, it, and, it, and it might be disrespectful to as we would often do at a place like Colorado Academy where, where, parent, where there's a very casual sort of vibe and where we had these relaxed meetings with senior parents where we would serve beer and wine in the back and say, come on in and we're just going to like close the doors and let it all out and talk about your kids um, and, and kind of wag our fingers at them about saying we, well, that's, it's not really appropriate and it's in fact offensive to many mm-hmm. of the families we work with now. Yeah. And considering what, the grandmother involved in this triad has has perhaps seen in her lifetime. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The, there is a real sense that the future of the family union is is at stake, mm-hmm. and the, the sense of of ambition um, and, and progress um, on the shoulders of the of the child involved in the conversation is much more palpable in the conversations with families in our school environment than I felt uh, in my previous school environments, though those conversations were incredibly serious and incredibly purposeful. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there was much 
more room for uh, conversations about the individual. Um, certainly a lot of focus on return on investment at my previous institution. There's actually less focus on return on investment here, um, though there, there's interest in that, in that idea loosely. Um, it's more about progress of the, of the family. And, and with that, this notion of face um, that, that comes, comes into play as, as well. So um, you mean in sort of in the, in the, in, in, in meaning like saving face or, right. Or like yeah, sort of yeah. the, the presentation of, yeah, of, yeah, of self yeah. and status and. Yeah. yeah status yeah. and the degree to which that is going to play a role in decision-making. So you don't have a lot of, you don't have really what you said with a few exceptions, Chinese nationals that are that your school. So I assume, are you, when you talk about, you know, this, this different notion of family, are you talking about your students that are coming from Japan and Korea and Hong Kong and Singapore? Well, well, so. <laughs> the important thing to understand is that while many of our students aren't Chinese nationals, their parents, many of their parents are. Got it. So, uh, we have many, many Chinese heritage students. Yeah, okay. And that number is increasing by the moment. Um, and one of the beautiful things about our school is the opportunity to, um, to sort of think about what Chinese identity means within, mm -hmm. within our school. We have students uh, who, whose identity has nothing to do with China, other than the fact that they are going to school in China. And maybe they're studying Chinese, maybe they're not. Mm -hmm. um, but many of our students have a Chinese heritage as part of their person. Got it. And part of what we do in our work is suss that out. Mm -hmm. And what what is that going to mean for their college process? Mm -hmm. um, what is their relationship with their language? What's their relationship with there with family pressure or not pressure it there is no one way that this comes to pass for kids um but we do know that it's an important part of their discovery through the college through the college process and creating space for them to think about this is um i think one one of the most meaningful gifts we can give them mm -hmm. it's one of the most beautiful things that i think mark and i uh, are, are getting out of this time mm -hmm. in, in Shanghai. The story, as we have honed our practice, and, and one aspect of that is just asking better questions yes. and working with our teams, because yes. we, bo we both have teams of counselors who, are, who work with us on yeah. each campus. Mm -hmm. And to, to, to get at some of these questions, I mean, the stories that come back, I mean, when I look at some of the stories that I have about these families that have come to me through the conversations with students and their parents, as I sit down to write a recommendation letter, it's like, it's like I want to write the book of this family's yes. journey uh, over the last century because it, talk about adventure, intrigue, uh, right. struggles. And that's, why, <laughs> and that's why the grandma uh -huh. has a voice. And I think it's so important to, to acknowledge that, that, that for for us and for anybody at our school right now just to be a part of what china is mm -hmm. at this moment in this moment of transformation yeah. and having just even the the faintest sense of what the history of certainly the last hundred years is but but if you can get a real handle on how much change has occurred in a city like shanghai in the last 30 years yes it's hard to imagine how 
a human mind <laughs> can, can take it in if you've lived there th during that whole time. It, it is just unprecedented change in, in the entirety of human history. And our, our students are products of that. Many yes. of them are. Um, and, and, and many of their families have, have just seen unthinkable change in their lifetime. And so it comes together in our offices as they encounter this um, global college admissions landscape for many of our students uh, and, and for the majority of students that we're, we're talking about, the focus is on the United States and on American uh, selective college admission. And, you know, as you know, walking into that world um, with, uh, without a sensibility gained from, from long exposure to it, it's really confusing. How big, let me ask you this, like how, how do you approach the obvious responsibility that it feels like you guys have assumed um, to do the work to sort of educate the admissions folks yeah. who are reading the applications of your students and maybe don't all you have is for all intents and purposes that letter of recommendation to explain that century of a story yeah, you know right. what are you what kind of work do you feel like you're able to do to help those readers kind of understand what's going on here that's a big part of our work it's a big part of our work and we have taken to doing much more grounding and biography than i am accustomed to doing say more but can you say more about what you mean well to to really i i think that it's so important to differentiate it's one mm -hmm. of our favorite words um the students individual histories how they're defined by the stories that brought them to where they are now um, without making them responsible for whatever it is that came before them, right? We don't want them, we don't want to... So they carry the weight of <laughs> the expectations of an entire century yeah. on their shoulders, no if pressure. They're, if they're, pressure. Right, right. <laughs> if they're able to talk intelligently. So we're, we are not interested in grooming these stories out of them. Mm -hmm. But if, they, if, if this comes out of them, it, it, when we ask them questions and they just spill, yeah. then we know that this is embedded in their narrative because of the nature of their family dynamics. What and are some of the questions that you find that have been, if you can, I mean, it might be very particular to the individual, but what are some of the perhaps lines of inquiry that you found to be most useful to kind of get at that? Well, for example, what is your relationship with language? Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, pages of writing. We, we added that question onto a mini survey that we have students do when they return. And is it that broad? From yes. summer, yeah. So so it's it's a question that we, that we uh, sneak into this uh, return, tell us about your summer. But the idea is that at that point, they've had conversations with us. They're comfortable with yes. us. They're, you know, you have part of learning how to do this work is figuring out how, how you time, time your lines of inquiry mm -hmm. so that they're appropriate to the student's comfort level with yes. you and, hmm. and their willingness to share, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so, And that would arguably be the case with any student that you're counseling. Of course, right? yes. of course, right. of course. Yeah, yes. that's, a, that's a universal truth. Mm -hmm. um, but we added this question about language because of some conversations we had been having. Yes, and also there was a great talk on my campus given by the um, English as an additional language 
teacher who was talking about, who was really trying to educate my community about how our students' multilingualism was so much more complex than some members of our faculty might understand. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was really compelling. We Mm -hmm. talked about it Mm -hmm. in our experiences with kids. And we thought, what question could we add to our survey that might just uh, pique some kids' interests? And it's been remarkable. (laughs) Yeah. No, you guys are you guys are doing social anthropology field work here. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yeah. Um, because we, we also asked them on their junior survey to talk about a, a piece of their family history that might that feels distinctive. It's a, it's a question that you might find on a lot of junior surveys. Um, and sometimes we get something that's really buried in a part of the cultural revolution that's really just like, wow, that's what Mark's saying. It, it, yeah, it feels almost trite, you know, to 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 do this as a function of college applications and that whole process, right? Like it feels <laughs> well, almost well, like it's not enough. Like, are, is there a place where you guys are uh, able to kind of collect these stories? That's a, that's a really good it's question. It's a great question. And, <laughs> you know, and so some kids you, I have found, I'm not sure if this is your experience. I have followed up with those on those tidbits and they clam up and they're just like, yeah, it's just a thing that happened in my family. Sure. Other kids, you follow up and they're like, yeah, this is, let me tell you more. Um, and that's true with any kid. Um, but, but I would say, you know, we look at it as um, what's so exciting about our work is that in fact, for us in this particular school and geographical and cultural set of context, our work as college counselors is much bigger than where you're going to go to school. Sure. Uh, we have the opportunity through our work to really dive in and give these students an opportunity to engage in questions of identity, reflection, and formation that have not been provided to them elsewhere. Um, and and um, for many of our students, they have all these fascinating pieces around them that get drawn out in our conversations with them. But they have many of them haven't had a lot of conversations like that before. And we have uh, some wonderful programs in place at our school connected to social emotional growth and learning. And our students also are so focused on their academic achievement. It, it is just something that's that's in the air. And, and for many of our students, school feels like kind of a job. Yeah. Um, and um, so to walk into our office and to begin these conversations, which uh, from the beginning can be so anxiety, they're anxiety provoking for kids everywhere these days, mm-hmm. but for our kids in particular, they can feel, it can feel so fraught to begin this conversation because it feels like judgment on how you have done your job at school over the last 12 years is about to be rendered for, to be able to convert it into these conversations about who you are and what's important to you. And how can you, moving forward, apply that knowledge to your decision making uh, is just... It's magic. (laughs) And we have really hammered home this idea that colleges care about the things they care about, such as character, citizenship, personal qualities, things that come out in the responses. We've shown them examples of uh, letters of recommendations that have included successful or more well-developed comments from surveys to provide some incentive for them to take their time with these uh, 
responses so that they don't just hurry through so they can get to the good stuff of a college meeting where maybe we they can get a sense of where they stand in the class mm-hmm. um, and it's it's beginning to build towards something meaningful where kids actually do the work of reflection um, in the way that we uh, know yields meaningful results. So you guys do so much intentional work in this regard with the students. Now, what about the parents and how do you kind of, how do you, you know, how's all this touchy feely stuff <laughs> translate, you know, with the folks. And I'm, uh, I'm curious to know what your approach has been. So our, our initial framing of all of this, the sort of first presentations of what college counseling at our school is to, to parents as well um, is, is rooted as we have evolved what we're doing in um the idea of sort of life skills, transferable skills Mm -hmm. that are gained from the school experience. So, so we do, our office in a sense talks about what the return on investment of this, of our particular school is vis-a-vis these life skills that are preparing you for whatever it is that is going to impact your future, be it, be it, you know, just executing your college experience or your job, but also making big, important life decisions in our school um, has actually identified a series of, of what are actually called transfer goals um, that the entire experience of going to the school is uh, designed to imbue in a student. And we seized on that because they're good and said, look, the college process is in a sense a kind of capstone uh, project opportunity to practice every one of these skills from um, communication to global citizenship, um, on and on and on. Um, to decision making, um, to, uh, well, yes, I think those are, the, those are the ones that I think gain the most traction when we first introduced the idea to families on through junior college uh, planning night, which we just did by screencast. Right. Um, <laughs> and I think it, the idea is to help move the conversation away from list building and that that the outcome of SAS is the the final college choice yeah and and instead is a set of skills that will carry over forever but also but in the more short term um, to a successful college transition so when do you when do you know that what you're doing is working. How do you know it? Like what kinds of messages are you getting back from families that, you know, you're seeing that your hard work is paying off and that it's landing ultimately with them in a way that, that, that has, that has some staying power. Well, I think that the first step is that they are, that, that we're able to build trust with our families, Mm -hmm. which within our context is the first step to any meaningful progress. Mm -hmm. Um, and we it's obvious that in the time that we've been where we are that's happening um we do have parent questionnaires um, where families are asked to comment on their kids much as we ask kids to comment on themselves and i know that on our campus we're getting responses back from parents at a much higher rate than we were 
when I started. Mm-hmm. Um, and the responses are much more thoughtful mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that may be partly because we've translated documents into Chinese and in Korean, which is also in the spirit of what we're trying to do is to meet families where they are. Mm-hmm. And we also allow families the chance to respond in Chinese and Korean. Mm-hmm. Not many do, but they can. Mm-hmm. And we get a lot of positive feedback. Mm-hmm. I think families feel like they understand what we're doing. They, they get a better look at the bigger picture that so much of this process is out of control. They yeah. can't. Which is to say out of their control. Out of their control. Right. Yes. And out of ours. And out of control. Just generally. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Everything. Yeah. Everything. Um, and so having something else to grab onto. Yeah. Um, which feels like a skill that you can build that's related to the future since it's all about, since, since the anxiety is around progress of this child that is so precious, um, that feels good. Um, mm-hmm. And we get, we get a lot of positive feedback around awesome. it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we sent our uh, recorded version of the junior family college night out into the ether with some anxiety about it. it was just the format was so different and um and, but we did have the opportunity to do it together as a cross-campus event instead of two separate events which was i think a cool opportunity but we we got an, a lot of feedback uh within the last week or so yeah. that that thing has been out saying wow it was so great to hear um these messages about how there can be meaning derived from this process and right. and and already we we see it and and it's also been really cool or we feel like you know this is year three that we and our teams have made some real progress in in the way that we're working with our families and working within the school context and again as the first designated full-time college counselors um, in this school's history that is not a, a long timeline that 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 our job description even exists you know we we are now starting to get feedback even from seniors in the midst of senior year which is my favorite thing saying this process has been so cool i know that wherever i end up um, i have learned some things about myself that are going to help me be successful and that will inform my decision making, and and like it's like almost like what we would have scripted for them, yes. but that has come to us organically from kids, and that is like so awesome. That was uh, the the those were the words that we put up very large uh, on uh, the board report that we ended up doing mid year this year in December. Like, look, this is the stuff we're hearing from kids, right. and this is how we can measure uh, success. Right. And some of the uh, progress we're making is not due to our own effort. It comes from families watching um, incredibly talented kids in their community not be admitted to the most desired schools. Mm -hmm. So they're looking for they're looking to make sense of the chaos Mm -hmm. um, and they we're offering them a way to do that. Um, and we're talking, giving them the chance to talk about identity within a really confusing context um, for families who are raising children and and choosing to put their children within a a complex setting within their own families. In Mm -hmm. other words, third third culture kids. Um, That's a a brave 
parenting move. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, this is a, an opportunity for them to kind of work through and resolve and, and strengthen their own family unit before their children go off to college. Mm-hmm. So it's a, mm-hmm. um, it, it, it's, it seems to be working. Um, and we're showing a genuine and sincere interest in learning about China. Yep. Um, and they're, they're responding. And, and our families are so hungry for information um, and, and they're so appreciative of being handed information in a way that is uh, respectful and doesn't pull any punches and, and lays it out as it is. Um, and uh, they respond to that and they appreciate our engagement with them and um, you know, a, a thing that we haven't sort of said explicitly so far is one of the things that's so interesting about a large percentage of the families that we work with is that they are, uh, in a sense, first generation in, in terms of the American holistic uh, college education landscape. Um, and in many cases, uh, first generation in the absolute sense of that word, yet they are products of the phenomenon of modern China and specifically of Shanghai, um, meaning that they uh, enjoy a certain amount of privilege and access to a, a kind of global citizenship um, and, and to um, almost anything that you could, could want, you can find in, in Shanghai. It's a really amazing city. And then to walk into this- Including a great deal of wealth. Uh, yeah. That was behind everything I was trying to say. Was, <laughs> uh, so, and, and the ability, you know, to pay outright for our school, um, like so many international schools, historically, uh, tuition was paid as part of uh, a parent's compensation package with an international company that was located there. But now most of our families are, are frankly paying out of pocket. Uh, what, what is essentially the equivalent of uh, expensive private independent day school in the United States. Um, and so, so here are families that have all this and, and, and have had the just exhilarating experience of, of this new openness to, to the world that has changed so much in their own lifetimes. And then you walk into this really confusing American college admission landscape and, and it's so confusing. And the other reality that we deal with in a place like Shanghai where there is so much income is that there is a huge... Uh, class of people who are there to take advantage of people with uh, money, but no experience. Uh, and so we have to do a lot of um, sort of management of, of outside voices and information, uh, which unfortunately in our particular context is, is not um, the best. So you talk about like, you know, people that would, you know, essays, tutors, test prep yep. agents, mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. name it, right? Like all of these, yes. and and folks who take advantage of um, our fam- our families, you know, lack of experience and eagerness to mm-hmm. make sure their children stay on track, mm-hmm. and 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 sell the idea of um, of of the idea that there's a a formula or a pattern, um, and I think our families can be particularly susceptible to that idea because of the local educational context. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, okay, if, if somebody got into XYZ school, what are the steps that student took? What did they write about? If you could replicate that, maybe you would 
achieve the same result. And unfortunately, what we find are a lot of these uh, people working outside um, of our school setting are, are selling that idea. Like we're going to help you create the winning profile. Um, and of course, we know that that just doesn't work. And in fact, authenticity and telling a real story and being a real kid and pursuing your real interests always uh, wins in the end, not just in terms of uh, college admissions. But in a happy life. Yeah. <laughs> so, 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 so our families appreciate uh, us helping them understand that reality. They do appreciate it. And we have to work hard to gain their attention. Um, and in building the structure that we've built, which is involved taking everything that we understood coming from Colorado Academy and coming from Lawrenceville and breaking it down into the tiniest pieces. Um, really the lowest common denominator of understanding and um, really looking at it and thinking, do we believe this? Mm -hmm. Does this make sense in this context? Do we, does this apply to the other pathways? Because though we're talking a lot about the US, our kids also apply to the UK, they apply to Europe, Korea, Canada, um, Canada yes, Australia, New Zealand um, in moderation, because there are only a few, um, and so on. And so, and so we just looked at every single little piece of information and tried to embed all of it with perspective. So at one point we were calling it uh, a, a taxonomy of everything, <laughs> um, just truly uh, a, a breaking down of everything mm -hmm. um, and then building it back up into a systematic introduction of all of the steps. And that's uh, um, with, with uh, assessments along the way for kids to reflect and think about their biases because there's a ton of opportunities uh, everywhere, but especially here to, for kids to really have to think about why am I approaching this the way I'm approaching it? Um, and we are persistent. We're, we're sticking with it. Um, and we're really excited. We're not slowed down by distance learning. We're by tele, <laughs> by tele counseling. One eight hundred. We have office hours. We're getting it done. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's really impressive. Um, you know what you're doing anyways. And I think it's just so interesting. And I think that this, you know, one of the reasons that I wanted to talk to you guys, is just that I know that the, um, I think that there are, you know, it doesn't take a lot these days, I think, to remind us all of how closely tied we are to China. Um, mm -hmm. But, mm -hmm. you know, then there's there's something like this that I think then really kicks it into a very realistic gear for a lot of people. And I just hope that, you know, what people take away from this is a lot more of what you guys took away from being there is like, I got to get in touch with China, you know, like yeah. I, I really need to figure this out. And I think that it was one of the things that, you know, I struggled with a little bit working at, you know, the University of Rochester and, and have and working for somebody that had a very uh, pronounced vision of, um, uh, you know, a, a the a very large proportion of international students on campus being a value add to your experience. Mm -hmm. um, and then American, you know, families saying, oh, well, they're just admitting a bunch of Chinese kids. That's all. Mm -hmm. And there's, that's fewer spaces for me. And, mm -hmm. 
So I, I just I hope that uh, amidst all of this stuff that people can take a, a, a much more, uh, you know, sort of proactive and less cynical approach to, you know, intercultural understanding and communication. But uh, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Our, our kids are so interesting. And um, and I, I think I, I would put any of the students that we work with up um, as an example for anyone with any predisposition about what it means to be Chinese or grow up in China uh, because they will defy all stereotypes and expectations um, and, and, and just the reality they've grown up in is so um, so interesting and, and so uh, different from what we grew up with in the United States and yet most of them will present as so fluent in American uh, cultural um, literacy. Yeah. Yes, they are. They are so dynamic, the, and it's such a pleasure to be raising my kids there. Mm-hmm. Um, and I am. Yeah, we, we definitely miss it. It's a weird time to be disconnected from that experience. So I, I really appreciate the chance to to get to talk about it a bit. Yeah. Cool. Um, well, I, I hope, I don't know, I think you guys need to like write a book about this or something, obviously. This is a, <laughs> I mean, maybe so. Yeah, maybe so. In the meantime, we're learning how to make videos, uh, yes. how to do like online interaction with students. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I, it seemed to me you guys were just kind of bored and needed a suggestion, like write a book. <laughs> we always take you see, the thing is, I just like to help. You know, uh, <laughs> so, you're welcome. Um, well, Godspeed um, and good luck with uh, your 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 work from afar um, and your work with each other. It's, it's exciting. It's really interesting. I look forward to, to sort of keeping in touch and seeing how things unfold. So um, thanks for taking the time. Well, we'd, we'd love to. And we really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you. Absolutely. And I know that, I mean it's Hamilton. So it's, it's very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, <laughs> musical, uh, considerably more exciting than, you know, like giving me a call. Maybe next time you're in our tiny Hamlet still, of less still, than 24 million people. I was still jet lagged. Okay. Oh, no, that's, I'm, it's, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We'll, yeah, well, we'll work it out. As long as we're, as long as we're, as long as we're we'll airing, work it out next time. As long as we're airing grievances, Davin. Oh no! Why did it take a virus to get on the crush? <laughs> fair, <laughs> fair question. Fair question. <laughs> but we'll happily return and talk more about fascinating topics. Taxonomy of college counseling. I mean, Mark, you've had, for all intents and purposes, I mean, you've basically been on, you know, just from name drop status alone. So I know I work, I work very hard on that. Dad. Yeah, I know it's a, it's a concerted effort. <laughs> Your loyal listeners will know. <laughs> yes. My parents. And... Oh, finally, Mark Moody. <laughs> We've heard so much about him. Heard so much about him in here. <laughs> uh, awesome. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right. Look forward to seeing you in New York City. Or, or I mean, whatever. It's fine. Appreciate 
Mindy and Mark for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, these guys really remind someone like me who is pretty new to college counseling just how much there is for me yet to learn about how to do this work and how to do it the right way and how much of it is art and not science, right? Uh, I'm glad we got to talk about China in more ways than pertain to the latest headlines. And hey, the work they and others at their school are doing was recently commended by the IB organization. Episode 5 guest is the Director General of the IBO, Dr. Sam Kamari, by the way, if you want to go back and check that out. Anyways, these guys were commended as an exemplar of planning for online learning, something I will link to if you want to learn more, and uh, something that tons of schools are having to reckon with on the fly right now at uh, every level of instruction, right? And there are plenty of people speculating about what the knock-on effects will be to our college and university system, and about a half a dozen articles a day are published about this, so I won't add a ton to it, but, you know, yeah, this is uncharted territory. For instance, one of the biggest questions floating out there, one that Mindy and Mark touched on, is what happens if a whole lot of students can't take SATs or ACTs? Not just overseas, as they mentioned, but but here either, because schools and test centers are closed. Will all colleges be kind of forced into a test optional admissions policy if a significant amount of their kids don't have tests to submit? Kids won't have to boycott the tests, as I suggested in my last episode, in order to see how colleges respond to the absence of these tests in their process. But uh, whatever ends up happening in the months to come, I'd say the work of college counselors is going to be really important in helping make sense of things even more than normal. And uh, as Mark and Mindy uh, alluded to when we were talking, the community of college admissions professionals has been uh, as responsive and caring uh, about all of this stuff as they can be in this unprecedented space that we all find ourselves. At any rate, amidst all the hysteria, I hope that those of us who work with students and their parents can be mindful of some key contextual realities, right? That while this event is disrupting much of our daily life and extending into the college and college admission space, I hope we can lean on this fairly undeniable, uh, recent, perhaps sudden and new for some recognition of our shared humanity and stay focused on the health and well-being of people everywhere as we ride this thing out. The college stuff will sort itself out one way or another, so let's try and place energies and concerns where they most appropriately belong, and that is on the literal physical health and safety of those we love and of our fellow humans everywhere. Thanks for listening, folks. More soon, and spread love. Not coronavirus as much as you can help it.